Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will soon find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. I don't understand what I do, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin within me.
who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. pray. Lord God, let the words of your servant's mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer through Christ. Amen. 
We've been working our way through the book of Genesis this summer. We are at Genesis chapter 24. There's a lot of verses. This is a long text and a long sermon. We begin reading at the first verse. Listen then for the voice of God. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites, among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land, who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. And he set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Naor. And he had the camels kneel down there near the well outside the town. It was towards evening the time the women go out to draw water. And then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please get me your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, and who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him water, given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all of his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. And then we skip over to the 62nd verse. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lehi Roi, for he was living in the Negev. 
And he went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. And she got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He's my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If not for the coronavirus, this weekend would have been the start of the Tour de France. Just under 200 cyclists would be racing just over 2,000 miles in just over 20 days. They would be riding through the gently rolling hills of wine country, over the French Alps and the Pyrenees, and finally down the Champs-Élysées. While there is only one winner the Tour de France is actually raced as teams. You don't win alone. You need the support of your team. You need domestiques, French for servants. For every mile and every stage, over every mountain and through every valley, team leaders are surrounded by domestiques. Domestiques don't get accolades, they don't win the medals, they don't make the money. They ride in service to the team leader. They shield him from the wind, they protect him from danger, they carry food and drink. If the leader flats, they give up their wheels. If the leader struggles, they tow him along, they pull him up the mountains and put him in position to win at the end. For the most part, Domestiques are faceless, nameless servants who faithfully do their part, grunts to the cycling gods. You don't win without domestiques. They are at the center of the Tour de France. At the center of the longest chapter in Genesis, there is a faceless, nameless domestique. In the middle of the divine human drama of God and Abraham, there is an anonymous servant. Consider. There is very little in this text about what God does. There's no spectacle of God breaking in and hammering out a covenant. There's no miraculous birth to a barren womb. This is not a story of plagues and floods or arcs and exodus Rather, it is a delightful human story, sort of the romantic comedy of Genesis. Sarah was dead, and if you do the biblical math, Isaac was about 40. Abraham is not long for this world either, and while God made Isaac the first installment on his covenant promise, there is little evidence that Isaac is doing his part for the next chapter. So Abraham sends a domestique back to the old country to ensure that Isaac has an acceptable bride. The covenant promise is about place and progeny. And as one scholar puts it, in circumcision, the male organ of generation bears the sign of that covenant. 
Abraham commands his servant to swear an oath by grabbing his genitals. Put your hand under my thigh is a delicate euphemism. But the oath also symbolizes, once again, the promise of procreation. This narrative nudges along the fulfillment of God's promise of descendants through the promise of a domestique. So, the servant travels with the dowry, camels, ten of them, gold and gifts, and with a desire to do right by Abraham, and having no idea how to determine an appropriate bride, the servant prays up a test for the first woman at the watering hole to show kindness not just to him, but to the camels as well. And before he can close his prayer, there stands Princess Buttercup, I mean Rebecca. And in the late afternoon sun, beautiful, a virgin, and generous of spirit, the servant is smitten. He asks for a sip. She gives a big gulp and offers to water the camels. Now, one biblical scholar offers this summary. An average camel drinks about 106 liters of water. Ten camels mean 1,060 liters of water. If you use a 20-liter pail, that means 53 pails of water. An average well has 50 steps down into the water. Those are small steps built into the wall of the well. So imagine you have to carry a pail down 50 steps, scoop up 20 liters of water, walk up 50 steps out of the well, and do it 53 times. Now, I don't know about all those averages, but the narrative is clear that whatever Rebecca was doing, she was doing with haste. In four short verses, Rebecca is the subject of 11 verbs of action and one of speech. She is a continuous whirlwind of purposeful activity. Just what you want in a wife. Okay, imagine how funny that would have been with a whole bunch of people here. She is running, fetching, fixing, offering a place for the servant as an entourage, and eventually she leaves behind kith and kin to join dashing and gallant Isaac, who is stopped dead in his tracks when he sees his bride-to-be coming across the field of golden grain. She demurely veils her face. He helps her from her camel, sweeping her off her feet, Cue the violins, and the domestique looks on with a knowing smile as the sun sets over Sarah's tent. The covenant is intact. Now that, dear friends, is a charming story worthy of the Hallmark Channel. It relishes in the details of how people are connected, how love flourishes, and how God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled. One more link in the line from Abraham to Jacob to David to Jesus to you and to me. So what are we to make of it? What are we to make of this biblical story of beauty and betrothal? Well, 
Walter Brueggemann writes that this is a secular story. God's not breaking in to speak. God's not making promises or giving commandments. There is no direct, discernible, divine direction. There's an oath, a petition, and a prayer of thanksgiving directed toward God. But this is not a story of God's intervention, interruption, or instruction. I guess you could see God as a matchmaker. You could trace God's finger pushing Rebecca and Isaac together, working out the details of thirsty camels and willing hearts. And there is a sort of religious romanticism to which that appeals. In fact, in the rabbinical midrash, there is an exchange between a rabbi and a Roman woman concerning that kind of possibility. Listen to this from the midrash. Rabbi Yosbar Halafta was asked by a Roman matron, you claim that your God created the world in six days. Then what has he been doing ever since? All this time the Holy One has been making matches. Well, that's no great feat, declared the matron. I can do that just as well. But Rabbi Yosa warned her, it's not as simple as you think. The Holy One, blessed be he, considers making matches as difficult as splitting the Red Sea. But what if God is busy making matches, as Diane Roth puts it? What if that is, in fact, the only way that God transforms the world, through matchmaking, which is to say, through human relationships? Since creation, God has been arranging meetings, bringing people together, not just so that they will have a nice life, but for larger, mysterious purposes, for the flourishing of the world and the advancement of God's purposes. I, I like that. The currency of relationships serve a greater purpose. The reclaiming of shalom, the working out of God's will in this world. May we see all our relationships with that same sense of holy attention and intention. But I want to go back to the domestique. I told you this was a long sermon. I want to go back to the domestique. He was the senior servant, the top domestique of Abraham's household in Canaan. And chances are that he would have been of some other tribe, of some other people, with some other gods. And yet in this unfolding story of redemption, he does the helpful thing, the needful thing, the faithful thing. He doesn't seek glory or stand on the podium. He doesn't demand attention or seek accolades, but he plays his role. Now, we're often seduced into believing that our lives are to be dramatic adventures for God and for self. In our context, we easily expect that if we're not doing something substantial and successful, there must be something wrong with us. 
But the way of God is not always spectacular, powerful, or dramatic. Sometimes it's just faithful servants who do the simple thing, the human thing, the obedient thing, the needful thing. Dear friends, the way of God doesn't always come with success and acclaim. Sometimes it comes slowly, gently, kindly. The kingdom of God doesn't come with sweeping force. Sometimes it's built relationship by relationship. Uh, It's difficult to be too precise or positive about how God is orchestrating events or working out his will. The story of God's will is better told looking into the rearview mirror than squinting through the windshield. So maybe this text is a reminder of the hidden, inscrutable guidance of God. It resists the religious romanticism of God steering us to parking places and promotions on the one hand, And on the other hand, the callous cynicism that we are alone and adrift without guidance. Maybe this passage is a reminder to prayerfully, humbly do the needful thing while trusting that God is present. Maybe we're all asked to be domestiques, trying to live in a Godward way. You know, this is the only occasion in Genesis where the term na'ah, Hebrew for lead, is used. Na'ah usually refers to guidance in the wilderness or a kind of personal well-being in a time of stress, like best known in Psalm 23. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But in Genesis 24... Naha is used to describe this series of events in the words of the domestique. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my father Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord led me on the journey. Dear friends, today may you be encouraged that God is leading May you be encouraged that God is working out his will, even as you are faithful as friend and father, teacher and child, caregiver and grandparent, servant and spouse. May we hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.
Please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for gathering us from a distance today and giving us a special time to praise you and hear your words. Although we are still living in an uncertain time of the pandemic, we are thankful for the warm weather that allows us to spend more time outside. Thank you that the gems and cadets can go on a nature walk soon. Watch over them and help them to have a safe and fun time. Thank you that Eleanor DeYoung had a successful surgery and please help her recovery to go well. We also ask that you be with Ellen Lovers and her family who have had a very difficult few months. Please comfort them and give them strength. Thank you for our church members who provide support. Please be with the Butt family and this difficult pregnancy. We have watched the increasing cases of COVID-19 and ask for your protection and wisdom as we try to figure out what to do. Help us also to listen to and learn from the Black Lives Matter movement and protests in support of it. Show us ways we can help and work towards your justice. During these stressful times, help us not to forget that you are there for us. Amen. So we've been at this podcast uh, for quite a while now, and uh, the reality of preaching in this empty space uh, and singing into this empty space um, hasn't gotten uh, any better, quite frankly. Um, we miss uh, you being here. We miss, uh, I miss seeing uh, children and high school kids and um, little boys running around. Um, I miss this community being gathered together. So as you are scattered all about on this holiday weekend, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his light upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. It's not long till the world